This right here. Okay, now we're recording, so we can hear you eat the fries. I'm going to eat the fries, too. They're amazing. That was a fry. Lucky Joe's fries. And then a Lucky Joe's. Old Town Square. Hmm. What kind of beer is this? Is the shutdown? It's the COVID beer. It's a shutdown beer. What is it called? It's like New Belgium. Shutdown. No, is it quarantine or shutdown beer? Um, everything's falling apart beer. That's right. Oh, here, they I made this is the first time I've ever, the... I've ever had a beer to go in Fort Collins. It's... I got real marks for um, one of my clients who closed on their house. I brought him Rio Marks to go. And I was like, this is awesome now that you can buy alcohol to go. It's a great closing gift. Because, like, you show up to closing, you have Rio Margaritas. Like, it's kind of it's hard to do any better than that. We, My wife and I did the same thing. We actually got Rio Marks to go, and we went up into the Poudre Canyon during all the COVID shutdown. And we were like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then we thought, someone's going to catch us sitting in the in the canyon trying to drink a margarita and we're going to get arrested or What's something because we didn't drink in the canyon well we just didn't know because remember how crazy covid was oh yeah and everything was just like you can't do anything you can't go anywhere right and we were like breaking the law you get like shamed for stepping out of your house yeah but it was it started with the, about that it yeah. got really bad people people would post pictures of like i posted a picture of myself fishing or there's like a pooter Facebook feed where everybody that fishes the pooter like will post pictures. Yeah. And people would post pictures and then people would shame them for going fishing. And I was like, oh. if that's where we're at. The COVID-19 <laughs> shame was tough. It was hard. It was a lot of shaming. So like, that's what we need is another reason for people to like be able to look down their nose at somebody else. It's like, we just, already just all do that way too much. There was so much of that. So we felt good. And then we felt nervous. I mean, like we pick up our, you know, margarita to go, which was super cool. Like, but so fun. So now we've got our beer to go. It's the good. best part is it's just from new Belgium, but they put it in a Coors like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Coors. Well, cheers. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Great Rock mm. Realty podcast number something or other. Not sure. Well, it's what happens after COVID. That's right. Because I think it's our subject, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of good to have perspective. I feel like we're yeah. getting some perspective. Obviously, we're not post-COVID, but we're post-shutdown, at least for the time being. Oh, absolutely. And I remember in March, I don't know if it was February or March, when I was just, okay, we're, we can't. Well, for a while we could show property and then we got completely shut down for a few weeks and then we were deemed essential and then we kind of went back and forth. But it wasn't so much not being able to show property. It was just the, you know, spectacular amount of uncertainty that, you know, clients were calling us saying we're out. We want nothing to do with real estate right now. Or what's happening? Is everything tanking? Yeah. Like, yeah, there was the whole, like, if they're a prospective buyer, if they're ready to sell or do something like that, they were shifting, pivoting away from that. And then there was just the random questions constantly, like, it's all going down. Yeah. And, or is it? Yeah. And, like, you don't know the future, but you have people, all your clients are calling you saying, like, well, you don't know the future, but tell me the future. Mm -hmm. And so, man, that was tough, you know, because I felt like, 
we were getting we were getting more Zillow leads than we've ever gotten ever. They like, were blowing we were up, flooded from Zillow. Everyone was home. Everyone was sitting around looking at real estate. You know, obviously they may may not necessarily have been ready to buy, but they sure were bored enough to oh. <laughs> spend a whole lot of time on Zillow. There was a lot of tire and, kicking. And asked for video tours. Like there was tire kicking like crazy, and people were. But at the same for, time, they still turned into buyers that were like serious. But there was there was a lot of. They were so that was the rub. It was like, you know, my friends on Facebook were like fist pump. The Fort Collins market's going to drop thirty percent, and we're finally going to get like deals on real estate in Fort Collins, which didn't happen. And we're like, I'm like, well, I don't want to, you know, it's not like I'm going to get on there and say, hey, you all are crazy. Like, if you could see what we're seeing, people are still, you know, mm. active in the market. We're not even able to show property, and we're still writing offers for property sight unseen. I mean, that wasn't like the norm, but it did happen. Yeah. But the norm was extraordinary level of activity, but volume dropped 40%. Yeah. And then now that we look back on, you know, May and June, actually prices, we, we actually gained like a couple points in Fort Collins. Some markets were flat. Some markets had really small price drops. But considering the fact that we had a 40% volume decrease... And our and we maintain prices. It's like yeah, I guarantee you that dynamic has probably never happened in a real estate market in the history of the world, like anywhere. Yeah, because you can't have volume drop like that and have prices hang on. You know, so on uh, on this note of uh, calls in, because there was that, how many raw land deals? How oh, many? Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about yeah. that for a second because everybody like, was trying to get out of town. I'm buying an RV <laughs> and I need a place to park it. <laughs> And I'm going to buy some raw land. I need raw land now. That was, there was an extraordinary <laughs> amount of calls for that. There was so I need much. A, I needed like a bunker for nuclear warfare. I need like yes. a root, root cellar storage, greenhouse, yes. RV hookup. Like, can you do that for me for like $8,000? And can we get a mortgage for it? <laughs> yeah, I need a loan for that too. There was a lot. Of interesting activity. There was. Yeah, and you have to you have to tell people like, look, I mean, mm-hmm. I know it sounds great to have an RV parked somewhere, but at the end of the day, like, you're either gonna haul water in, and you're gonna like run your RV down and like dump the tanks, or you're gonna spend you know fifty thousand dollars putting utilities in. That's Absolutely. what most people don't realize is twenty five grand for septic, twenty five grand for a well. About. Know. 15 to 20 grand for just a foundation if you wanted to actually build on it and get a mortgage because then you have to have a whole plan with the mortgage company with a builder planned out to get the house yep. built and it's about what 200 plus dollars a square foot but Zillow will tell you when you when you're looking around at vacant land, it'll say, "Oh, the this fifty thousand dollar lot, the payment, your payment's only going to be four hundred dollars a month." You ever seen that? Like they'll yeah. still they'll still give you the mortgage estimate, even though no bank in the world will ever lend on that piece of raw land without you committing to build in six months. Yeah, it's it's, so it's you it's can't a- blame people. It's like they're like, "Oh, Zillow's telling me I can." Yeah, I mean they're just they're just cr- they're just throwing a number out there if. But right. the 
yeah, mortgage companies won't do that. And so there was a lot of conversations with people kind of explaining kind of the fuller picture of what they can, can't do. And mm-hmm. then there's HOAs with those raw lands and, you know, pieces of land. Yeah, there's it was no, so interesting. There's yeah. not like an easy way to just buy property and be able to live for cheap, you know. Um, I mean, I suppose if you do want to haul water in, you can do that. But at the end of the day, like once winter comes, then you're going to be in a tight spot because you're going to have to have power. And anyway, we're getting, oh, getting no. off in the weeds on. But on it, but it, but but the reason that's in the weeds is because I think everybody was in the weeds. Yeah, and th- there were so many calls on that. So that was an interesting piece, right? Kind of as along with the COVID kickoff. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had to figure out, like, what do we tell people? Like, we don't want to sit here and be like, rah rah, hey, the real estate market is perfect, and mm. you should come by in the middle of a pandemic. Don't worry about it, because people are still buying homes, and everything's going to be fine. Right. Like, we certainly didn't want to say that. But we also had to tell people like, hey, if you're in the business, this is what you're seeing. Like, it's not, you know, this is not 2008. Right. It was very different. You know, 2008, you had yard signs like you drive down the street, every other house had a yard sign in it. You know, Um, the absorption rate was like, you know, the average days on market was like seven months. You know, right now the average days on market is two weeks and and. I wasn't sure how bad the job loss was going to be. Like maybe even though we had spectacularly low inventory, maybe there was going to be enough job loss to counteract that. And maybe we were going to see a big uptick in the the number of listings. And then we would start to see prices fall a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, you read all these articles about there's a black cloud over the real estate market you know, uh, this person predicts real estate's going to tank, you know, all these predictions, but I would tell people like, all you have to do is watch inventory levels. You don't have to do anything else. Mm. That's the, there's one metric you, you need to watch and that will start predicting what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And so as long as those inventory levels are crazy low, which they are, you know, prices aren't going to magically drop if there's not if if homes aren't sitting on the market and there's not a whole bunch to choose from. It it was fascinating going through that process because, as I remember, you know, Ryan just we would talk. It was a weekly thing where we'd say, "What's happening this week?" and "What can we tell people this week?" and it was, you know, things like. Uh, we can't show homes, but we can do, we can show them on Zoom, or we can walk through a property with right. you know the um, that kind of thing. To okay, can't show anything at all. Uh, we can show you pictures of it and talk to you about it, um, but just through that whole process, as they were asking that same question, like what are the houses going to do? I just remember the conversations were you know we might see. The, the market soften a little, but we don't think it's going to swing into the, you know, buyers being a buyers uh, on the buyer side. And so far that's, 
been true. It has. I mean, it's softened for sure. I mean, May was the probably the biggest softening, or how would you say it? May, June, or would you? Well, or was there a softening? <laughs> I mean, it felt should, softer. We probably should define a softening. I mean, yeah. What should we call it? I feel like once the shutdown um, was ended, you know, it took a little. It took a few weeks for it to come back online, but. So I, I, I kind of was telling my clients, everything is getting pushed later into the summer. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times once we hit July, end of July, things start to slow down. A lot of people that have, were going to buy already did. May and June are huge months. May, you know, was pretty lean. Still, the volume was pretty low in May. And then June started roaring back. Um, but interest rates were so low, I felt like... Um, I'm sure that was a big part of it, but also there's a, there was still a whole bunch of people that didn't want to put their house on the market because they didn't want a bunch of people walking through their home, oh, yeah, giving them COVID. COVID. Yeah. So whatever increase in the number of homes we have from job loss probably seemed like it was counteracted by people not wanting to put their house on the market to have the public walking through. Which goes back to your point, low inventory. It just balanced it out. And yeah. then we had... Three percent, and we still have three percent interest rates on thirty-year fixed. Like we're having people lock at two point nine for thirty oh years. Yeah, I just talked to somebody that locked at two seven five, and that's so. Now we're back to insane bidding wars. You know, yeah. um, one of my clients went thirty-one thousand over list. Yeah, talk about that. That was a really. Yeah, he. He was he was really ready to buy. I mean, he had seen some. He'd been in those low inventory situations, and he wanted to be in Central Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't really want to be south of Prospect. We looked down there a little bit, but ideally, it was it was going to be Old Town for him. And he could spend five hundred. You know, that was kind of he could probably spend five fifty, but. Most of the stuff we were looking at was under 500. So we had some stuff pop up. We had one in University Acres, which is just like east, that area between Old Town and the hospital. Oh, yeah. Where there's like those big, like sprawling mid-century ranches. We had one pop up in there. Uh, was listed for 500, like 1,700 square feet. It wasn't tricked out, but it was clean. Yeah. It wasn't a flip. You could tell somebody lived there. They'd never like gone crazy updating it, but those are the houses my clients seem to really gravitate towards. I actually really struggled to sell the flipped home product. I don't know what it is if people feel like they're not getting a good deal because they're paying top dollar for all the like fancy finishes. Or it's as I've I've run across that a little bit in some conversations, and uh, one of my clients was saying, "I don't really want to flip because." It's not the style I want. So I think sometimes when somebody flips it, they don't make it neutral enough. And um, they may trick it out the way they like it, but it may not have a general enough Right, approach. or it can or, feel so neutral that it doesn't have, like, character. Like, it doesn't oh, feel yeah, like right. somebody, like, lived it and loved it, yeah. you know. So anyway. Good point. This one, we were like, no appraisal. If the appraisal's low, we're not going to ask you to drop the price. We, of course, still have to do an appraisal. We went 20000 over list. 
with an escalation. I think we went in at 12,000 over list and we escalated up to 20. Um, and we got beat by a cash offer. I think mm. they, but I thought, I was like, dude, you're making a super strong offer. I'm pretty sure we're going to get, at least we're going to get uh, kind of a seat at the table. Like they're going to say, if you want it, right. this is what you have to do. But it ended up, they took the cash offer. So that was tough. Especially when you have a client that is completely comfortable with, like, he trusts you. Like, he, if you're telling him, you, if you pay $20,000 over list on this house, you're not overpaying. Or if you waive appraisal on this house, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to do. Because here are the comparables that I think the appraiser is going to use, and I think it's going to appraise for the purchase price. Right. So that's the thing that we talk a lot with clients about mm. is... You know what does it mean to waive appraisal like that sounds like a the dumbest thing in the world to do it sounds really scary you know the bank hires an appraiser to tell you if you're overpaying for a property and you base your loan to value ratios off that and if that appraisal is low then all of a sudden you have to bring more money to closing right but at the end of the day that's what that's what a lot of sellers are looking for and 90, I would say probably 96, 97% of our properties appraised for the contract price. Um, and so the probability of that appraisal coming in low, you know, is pretty low to begin with. Um, but you can look at the comparables with your client and say, here's one that sold down the street, same house, you know, or similar square footage, like... Which, I think we're going to be in the ballpark. Yeah, which builds confidence because right. looking at all the comparables and, um, but it also puts you in the hunt to get under contract. Right. So, ninety six percent of the time, the house is going to appraise for your contract price, and you got this huge incentive. You incentivize the seller in a in a huge way by waiving the appraisal, but it never costs you a dime. And that's what, you know, we're talking clients through. But there's going to be a handful of times when it will cost you money and when the property will appraise for less than the purchase price. Which you, you know, as, you know, just advise the, the buyer that way and they can take that risk. Right. Yeah, I mean, they can... They can walk away. You know, at the end of the day, you have a financing contingency. So if all this goes south and you do get some appraisal right. that you're unhappy with, you can walk away. But obviously, that's the last thing we want to do. Like the seller's right. gone under contract with us. The appraisal happens three weeks after you go under contract. We're way down the road. We've already gone through an inspection. And so we don't want to waive appraisal and tell our clients it's okay if you waive appraisal because if you get a bad appraisal you can just walk away like we don't want to do business that way that really screws the seller over right because they were banking on you you tell them you're not going to ask them to drop the price if you get a low appraisal like you got to back that up and what does it look like if if the appraisal is ten thousand dollars below the purchase price and you're getting an 80 20 loan the lender is going to ask you to bring $8,000 more to closing in order to keep your 80-20 ratio, which keeps your mortgage insurance at 
mm. out of the picture. Right, right. So you got to talk them through that. You know, that this is what would happen if it was $10,000 low. You'd have to, you're not paying more for the house. You're just having, you just can't finance as much of the house. So you have to bring more money to, right. to complete the purchase. So once you start to walk people through that and they really wrap their head around, okay, you're right. I'm not paying any more for the house. I mean, I'm not paying a higher purchase price. I'm simply being asked to put a higher amount of money down. Right. And so if they're okay with that, then you can go to the seller and say, not only are we waiving appraisal, but my client has is completely okay with if the appraisal does come in low, like we've talked about what that looks like. He knows he's going to have to bring more money to the closing. He's totally fine with that. Like we're the people that have walked through all these scenarios We've looked at it from all the different angles and we're going to close on this house because we really want it. So you start telling a seller that like, that's what they want to hear. You know, there's a lot of people that just wave the appraisal, but they don't, they're just like, we're putting it in the contract. We're going to waive it, but that's as far as it goes. Right. Whereas I want to communicate to the listing agent that we've put clients through these situations many, many times. You want somebody that, there's no surprises here. Right. They know what they're signing up for. When they put something in the contract, they're going to back it up with action. And those are the people that win, you know, in a multiple offer situation. And so, yeah, your client ended up, so that one didn't, so that, he didn't one, get that, one, that one, but then the next one. But he got another one that had eight offers. It was eight. a $400,000 house. Unbelievable. It went 31000 over. And... You know, it's beautiful lot. Yeah, I think like, I think you were. Um, I think I was covering for you that day just for a couple hours, you were. and um, it was it was great because we got to. I got the call that he had actually won this offer on the second house um, because of the strategy that you put in place with him, and he. I'll tell you what it was like when I said to him, I said, hey, it looks like you've got the counter and it's what you're expecting. And um, it was silence on the phone from him. <laughs> this is the second one he lost. He, he had lost two. Two. This so this one. is the third one. Okay, yeah. So when we got to that point, um, it was just silence because he had, he had basically, at that point, won it. He just hadn't signed it. He had won the deal finally after eight with eight other offers and um yeah anyway so that was a yeah that's, it was that's a the, sweet thing but in a tight market with low inventory and there's a big incentive to buy with low interest rates uh things like that it's it makes for it makes for challenging times but not if you have the right strategy yeah and, you know, I think rightly so. People have heard, probably heard us talk about these situations before. And, like, a lot of people, depending on where they are in the purchase process, they'll be like, you know, I don't want to compete. I'm not interested in a bidding war. And, like, of course I get that. Like, there's no, it's right. not fun. Um, it's stressful. And, but what, what they need to ask their, themselves, in my opinion, what I ask them to think about is, do you want the bidding war to be the litmus test for what, whether or not you want to offer on a property, right? Like, 
do you want to offer on a property because you love it or because nobody else is looking at it? And that's essentially what they're saying. I don't want to get in a bidding war. So I don't want to buy a property that a bunch of other people want to buy. <laughs> I want to buy a property that <laughs> nobody else wants to buy. And like, maybe that's an oversimplification. Actually, so, that makes, a, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It's like, well, of course, it's a really good property. A lot of people would want it and you want it. And so I, what I always loved about our conversations is instead of thinking about like a bidding war, it's about how you put your best foot forward. Yeah. It's not an auction. It's you not know, an most auction. of the time. Yeah. Right. Sometimes a, can a seller's agent will come back and be like, will you do this price? Will you do this price? And right. then it's an auction. But most of the time it's just make your best offer and we'll pick one to choose from. We're not right. going to like go back to everybody and go around and around and around and right. bid up the price. Which I think takes a lot of pressure off on one end, but then you're thinking the pressure is, can I make my best offer? How do I do that? So a lot of different ways. So COVID is, I think, turned the dial on that, hasn't it? What do you mean? Just, you know, it's it, with a lot of people sitting around looking at property, maybe for the first time for a long time, two months, maybe three months of it, just sitting at home. And all of a sudden they're thinking, is my home big enough? Is uh, the situation big I'm enough? I'm going to spend every waking minute at home for the rest <laughs> yeah, of my life. Yeah. Am I going to do this? <laughs> am like, I in the right house? Yeah. I mean, I've talked to multiple people like that. They are like, oh my, if this keeps going, there's no way I can have a home. I can't do this makeshift home office. I need an actual home office. Yeah. And so I think it's it's definitely turned the dial on a lot of looking and sure. you know investigating and so any other yeah thoughts on the covid for you situation I don't know like so much about covid I'm just trying to figure out like how do I tell clients like long term, like what can they expect, you know, from this real estate market, you know, for a long time, I'm, I'm so conservative with what I tell my clients for the last, like, you know, seven years, ever since we got into this seller's market, I've been telling them like, don't expect appreciation. You know, the market has been up for a long time and I don't want you to buy assuming that you that the property is going to appreciate. Mm. I want you to buy to buy assuming that the property is going to kind of hold its value and sort of stay flat, but um, don't bank on it. Mm. You know, um, don't come here expecting to like speculate on property and have us continue to add like five percent per year. Now I've been telling people that, but maybe I'm being too conservative because. Those properties have been appreciating a lot. At like you two know, to three? What and, is it? And maybe I'm doing them a disservice by not saying like you can bank on some appreciation here. But I just don't. But the, these are kind of uncertain times. They are. And how would you, because you went through, I mean, maybe, okay. So when I think of uncertain times, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, cause it's kind of fun because great. But 2008, going through 2008 and then being in the middle of 2000, uh, 2020, um, I don't know, the comparisons and differences in your mind 
I don't know that there's any any even way to compare it. Like there's no similarities. You know, there was you could take a buyer out, a buyer coming from out of town, you could take him out and look at 30 homes mm-hmm. and you could offer like 30,000 under list on any any one of them that you chose. Um you know, it was just there were so many foreclosures. Yeah. You know, obviously everybody knows why. Um, but what they probably don't realize right now is that the, our foreclosure rate at the moment is lower than it's ever been in history. Right. That's a big difference. Um, in 2008, there was one in 60 Americans was filing for foreclosure. Right now, it's like one in 2,000. So it's like orders of magnitude less. And one of the things that um, Keeping Current Matters is like one of the data companies that we use, they were like, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see headlines saying that the foreclosure rate has doubled or the foreclosure rate has tripled. And the reason for that is because we are already at a historically low foreclosure rate. It's not going to take much for it to double. Right. So, and and I never actually even saw those headlines. Um, I don't think, you know, and part of the, part of what's driving that is you have, you know, the average American across the board, not even talking about our area is $110,000 in equity in their home. That's a ton of so equity. Like, yeah. You don't go into foreclosure when you have $110,000 in equity. You sell your house and you walk away mm-hmm. with $90,000. Right. So you're not I just don't think that's going to add so it, to inventory. In a, in a sense it like um, on one level it's having more equity in the home and the house is not Back in 2008, everybody was upside down. All right, I mean, everybody owed more than they, right, than they had in in equity in the home or what the home was worth, and now it's um, in a different spot. And at least where we're going into these last several months, we're in, a, I guess, a stronger position. The way you're describing that. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like you can't even compare it. You know, we never really. We saw a big drop in volume, but we never saw enough increase in inventory to change our prices. You know, our prices basically, they're continuing to appreciate it, like small gains every year, 1%, 2%. Sometimes you'll see 5%, which is still, a, most people consider for a real estate market, that's a big jump. But mm-hmm. since we're used to like 8 and 10% every year, <laughs> that seems more subdued. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you have to look at, um, I can't speak for like, I'm not an economist. It's hard. For, I can't speak for like the whole country, but what I can tell you about our area, cause I am an expert in our area. I'm not an expert in like, you know, the country as a whole and what could happen. But I do know that we have an office in old town square. It's a retail center in Fort Collins. People come by our office all the time. You can pop out and talk to them and ask them you know, just chat them up and they'll be like, well, we live in New Jersey and we pay $1,500 a month in property tax and I'm on a fixed income and my kid just moved out here. (laughs) And and so I'm going to move out here and I'm going to pay $200 a month in property tax Mm. and, and buy, you know, a house that costs about half as much as my house in New Jersey. Um, that story is told to me over and over and over. People don't understand that our property tax is half the national average, and it's a quarter of what it is in many states. 
like Illinois, mm. Minnesota, New Jersey, like Northeastern Seaboard, like Seattle. I mean, people, they complain about the prices in Fort Collins, but they're not factoring in like total cost of living, um, which is property tax, which is public schools, you know, we have excellent public schools. Very few people send their kid to private schools in our mm. area. I, I grew up in a private school. Yeah. And that was brutal. I'm, I'm sure expensive. for my parents. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But it was expensive. back in the South. And right. They, they, yeah, so not the case here. And I send my kids to the schools here. Yeah, I mean, we got, you know, like anecdotally, you'll you'll talk to teachers and a teaching position will open up at Pooter and there'll be 200 applicants. So mm-hmm. it's no wonder we have great schools when you can pick from a couple hundred people to fill a teaching position. Oh, yeah. Um. And then, you know, there's just, there's layers and layers, I think, of reasons why this market, you know, obviously we've been in a long seller's market across the country. And so people are rightly asking, how long can it hold up? And that's a valid question that I, of course, can't answer. But what I do tell clients is if you are going to own real estate anywhere in the country, this is one of the best places in the world to do it. Mm because the cost of ownership is relatively low. It's a very desirable area people want to be in. And the new construction is a big deal. So in most parts of the country, it's much cheaper to build than it is in Colorado. So everybody that's selling a house in any given area in a part of the country like Texas, where it's pretty cheap to build, um, they're always competing with new construction. Like there's always a new community mm. somewhere near their home where somebody can go buy a brand new house on a pretty good sized lot. That's not really the case here. Like, of course we have new construction. We have big new build communities. Um, but the thing about those communities is that those developers are paying a, an incredible amount of money to get their utilities put into place, their water mm. taps, you know, a lot of times by the time they start building that house, they're at a hundred thousand dollars into like what we call curb and gutter and then water taps, sewer taps. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that, you know, you look around Fort Collins, there's cornfields as far as the eye can see. Like, it's not like we don't have a, sh- we have a shortage of land. We have a shortage of water. So if you go to the Elko water district near the Budweiser plant where there's tons of cornfields where Montava is trying to get a a, a big like thousand unit development push through they have that fully permitted all ready to go they're just waiting for water so you know elko is basically like we're not we can't sell you a thousand water taps like we have a finite supply of water right if we continue to sell water taps like they're going out of style we're not gonna have any water left for our existing customers so you have to go find us water rights so Yes. <laughs> Sorry, we're we're breaking checking, <laughs> we checking a, phones. But I had my phone blew up on me, but um, one second. There we so go. So that's essentially like. So in other parts of the country, water's cheaper. Develop it, it takes a lot less money to to build a new house. So at the end of the day, the average new build price in Fort Collins is about five hundred twenty-five thousand on a 4,700 square foot lot, it's hard to sell those homes. Like there is a market for those homes, but right. most people don't want to spend a half a million dollars 
on a big brand new house and get a 4,700 square foot lot. They'd much rather go into the resale market, buy something that's not brand new and get some nice trees an established neighborhood, yeah. a full quarter acre. And that's why um, that resale market gets so much pressure because you can't just go buy that new house on a quarter acre without spending, you know, $600,000. No. Um, the other thing is that Larimer County requires developers to turn half of their developed area into open space. Open so space. Yeah. you get a hundred acres, 50 of that hundred acres has to be open space. And it's like, everybody loves open space, but what that's, you know, turning into is, is, a a housing affordability issue. Like you can't make developers give it, away half of their developed yeah. acreage and expect to have like affordable housing. Is that is that also true in like Weld County or in There is a an open space like? requirement in Weld County, but I'm not sure exactly, yeah, I was just exactly what yeah. it is. But Larimer is particularly heavy handed in that right. area. But you know it obviously it's like makes for cool neighborhoods. You Right. They got green spaces winding through, but the actual lots are 5,000 square feet. Hence the ex expensive price and the small amount of land and right. all those things. Yeah, man. So, you know, and again, it's, and it's just a place that people want to be for all the reasons we talk about, you know, sunshine yeah. and sunshine hills and, and all that, you know, it's the good stuff beer and whatever else you want to say well i mean you know fort collins is the napa valley of beer that's right i mean what do we have like 35 breweries 30 breweries maybe 29 30 i don't know i can't keep track i can't keep up they're always open one they, they even i think i think i even saw some restaurants opening during covid which is crazy really yeah oh so, yeah this yeah one down right over here Pine on street yeah and even on college oh yeah uh the old uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, sorry, left me. <laughs> but they had like a rooftop right over. Nice. You're my yeah. restaurant guru. I was asking well, where to go. Oh, well, I know, but I just, I can't remember that name because it's new. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So there's a lot of breweries and a lot of distilleries. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Dispensaries, so all of that. They give out everything. Right. So. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens kind of long term. But again, it's like, you know, I don't think anybody's out there saying like, hey, just go buy, speculate on real estate in our area. Like, it's just going to keep going up and up. Mm -mm. You know, nobody's telling people that. But I am telling people, if you want a roof over your head and you're going to be in northern Colorado, like, these are the these are the dynamics that are driving yeah. our market, and I want you to understand those, and understand why we outperformed. Like why Phoenix lost 60% of its median price during the recession in 2008 and why we lost 3.5% in that same period. Like there's something there, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you make your own decision. Like you want a roof over your head, this is a great place to, <laughs> to do it. But I'm not, I, I just had never been one to be out there trying to get people to buy property just to to speculate on it and, and hope that the market goes up and up and up so oh man it's just it's an amazing place to live yeah and 
That's a good reason. We got, <laughs> we got guys we got, uh, we got, we got guys at the window right here complaining about our prices. <laughs> <laughs> but we should put we should put a placard on there saying, "Don't worry so much about our prices. Um, consider the other factors like property tax." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much better. That's so I don't good. Think that'll help. Um, that was perfect. Love having some visitors. <laughs> well. What do you wrap think? it up. I gotta. Gosh, I got this is deadline. great. I gotta. I gotta bring it home. Yeah, you gotta just. We got, we wrap. got resolution deadlines and. Yeah, and I. I think I've got to get home and, you know, get some dinner or something. I don't yeah. know. So, well, Ryan, great. This is great stuff. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for. Thanks for the undercover shutdown. Yeah, we got New Belgium IPA and we got some really good beer. Lucky Joe's, shout out to Lucky Joe's. Oh man, yeah. Thanks for your. If you move into Fort Collins, um, you'll definitely want to come to Lucky Joe's and get a good beer. You have great conversations with the folks at the restaurant, and it's true. <laughs> good food, although you have to order everything online when you get in there because <laughs> of COVID. Let's just bring that back to full circle. <laughs> so, there it is. Well, um, cheers. All right, buddy. Good talking. Good talking. See you next time. Next time.